everyone. Welcome back to Press A Gaming. I'm your host, Zephyr Zero, and I'm joined today by Wild High 77 What is up, guys? I'm still feeling the effects of uh, Chronicles of the Lost Realm last night, or maybe that was the bar afterwards. Shh. Shh. You're going to spoil it for him. That hasn't dropped yet. <laughs> Got something to look forward to, guys. Uh, anyway, today on Press A Gaming, we are taking on a subject that is near and dear to every gamer's heart. You can just hear the scathing sarcasm on my voice. Uh, the we're talking the, about the, the microtransactions. Of, oh, I thought we were talking about the thong of Lara Croft. No. Damn. Besides, we all know it was. We all know it was a new. Uh, the the cheat was supposedly that you could uh, get rid of all of her clothes, so there was no thong involved. Yes, <laughs> poly polygon tits. Yeah, polygonal tits. Yeah, you poke your eye out, kid. But uh, no, I still don't know how she was able to do a handstand with those things. Just, just but, sheer gravity problems. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Microtransactions, the thing every gamer hates. We've all run into it. We all hate it. It's pay-to-win. It's become worse than pay-to-win. Like, it started off as pay-to-win, but it's become worse. I mean, it's stupid even even in games like Fallout or, I guess you could call of duties and, and, stuff, of that, and stuff like that, where now you're paying just for cosmetic shit. Like, you're so vain in your video game characters and 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 avatars that you pay good money just to have some generic ass skin put on your gun or your your character as much as i hate microtransactions altogether i actually don't mind the the games that all of their microtransactions are simply cosmetic i don't mind it either but at the same time it's one of those like, it just shows it, how greedy the the uh, industry has become if i have to get stuck with a game that has microtransactions in it i would rather have the all cosmetics than have people being able to buy like loot boxes that give them uh chances to get weapons or or certain weapons for certain loadouts or attachments for weapons or uh, pieces and things like that. That's a mobile game thing. Well, I do. Like, I, my, that, that should be part of mobile games, and and I, I don't want it as part of my console games. Well, I think that you should pay sixty dollars for a game and have the full game. You shouldn't have to like pay after you buy the game. Well, now we're going into DLCs and stuff, and we were going to have that conversation. And I know we touched on it a, cu- a couple times. You uh, know, DLCs, microtransactions, kind of go hand in hand. Okay, but, I, I wasn't sure where the line was on that. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Like, back in the day, the, the cartridge days, what you got in the game was what you got. You paid your 50, 60 bucks, and that was the game. Now, since the advent of internet and C, and uh, CDs and stuff of that nature, uh, you know, not CDs, but DVD-style uh, games, and especially now with the download of games, uh, you spend sixty dollars for a half-finished product, and then they expect you to pay for a season pass or uh, the DLC individually, or whatever the case may be. They, they did the little fancy word they put on it, and you're spending almost sixty more dollars, sometimes more, to get the rest of the content of the game. Yeah. 
the, the DLC kind of caused the whole microtransaction boom we're currently sitting in. It was kind of a combination of things that, that caused it. Was game companies saw that you could make a ton of money uh, by treating DLC and other things of the game like you would treat something in a mobile game uh, of being able to pay to get more of certain thing. And... Uh, well, let, let, basically, basically, what happened was, but uh, for a little while there, in like I guess it was the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 era, uh, was we started having a bunch of games come out with like DLCs, and in the early days of DLC, it wasn't like, oh, we rushed to get the game to completion. Here's an update that that adds all the content we originally wanted to have from the get go. DLC in the in the early days of DLC was we put out a completed game, it was finished, everything was great, and then we came up with this really great idea after launch and built it and put it in so you guys could add it and deal and that was great. I loved have I loved early DLCs because it was always like additional content. It was additional content they came up with after launch. Or it was something that they necessarily couldn't figure out how to get it to work before launch, and then they finally figured it out and got it to launch. But it wasn't something that, like, the whole entire game hinged on. No, you're right, and the best best example I can give to that, even, even in modern times, is the Fallout franchise, the Fallout series. Uh, Fallout 3, Fallout 4, you had all your DLC uh, DLCs like uh, Mothership Zeta and... Uh, you know, Operation Anchorage, or even in Fallout 4 with, like, Nuka World and, and Far Harbor. Yeah, it was all the devs sitting around Bethesda for frickin' Fallout going, oh, you know what would be awesome? Takes a hit of the blunt. Right, all but... the fucking aliens. Right, but, you know, when, when, like, the best way I can describe it is when I bought Fallout 4 and I knew there was going to be DLC content to Fallout 4. Bethesda offered a season pass to get all the DLC for thirty dollars. Mm-hmm. Thirty bucks, not sixty, not a hundred, thirty bucks. I had no problem with that, especially after I saw the DLCs and maybe only three of them actually were additional in-game content. The rest of it was building shit. But uh, you know, I was fine with that. And then even looking at Fallout seventy-six, although there is a point that we're going to talk about with Fallout seventy-six, there was a. Uh, you know, when they released 76, they knew they were going to be adding new uh, content DLC to it, like Nuclear Winter and uh, the newest one they just added where you can actually delve into one of the vaults now. You can finally go into Vault uh, 94, I believe it was. Um, they added this shit in for free. Yeah. They, they, they're one of the few MMO games that actually gave you your DLC for free. And the reason I say the few is... In the same company, even though it's released under a different uh, publisher, the Elder Scrolls Online, every DLC for Elder Scrolls Online is you got to buy a new version of the exact same game that just has to ha- happens to have that new content. Oh, yeah, no, a lot of the games with, with certain DLCs, the way they, tre- they have it, they're treating it like the subscri- subscription model of, like, original World of Warcraft, of where you got you got... World of Warcraft, and then when they had another, or instead of 
buying the game outright. You subscribed to the game, and that got you all of the different updates as they went through. Like Final Fantasy. Right. Yeah. Final Final Fantasy MMOs, rather. I I, want to be clear, not the Final Fantasy standalone games. (laughs) Right. And as as a long-time gamer, as as a guy who remembers gaming, what, what gaming was in the 90s, Long time gamer. I was playing fucking Pong. I mean, I played Pong too, but like I wasn't there when it was in its freaking heyday. I wasn't going to arcades and sinking quarters into things, although I kind of was. Oh, I I absolutely was. My my arcade era was like Light Guns and Time Crisis and Burnout. Like. Oh, well, I was pulling scams at the local 7-Eleven with uh, Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition and the original Mortal Kombat. I was, I was there the launch of eight, uh, the 8-bit Nintendo. That I've I've seen this game industry grow, <laughs> and I've Arcade. seen it grow greedier and greedier and greedier. Arcade cabinets, the original microtransactions. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? If you knew how to play the game, you can make your money back. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that that's that's the thing. You know, that's why it's different for for like arcade cabinets because like it's you're putting in the your quarter or your 50 cents or whatever however much it costs to play the arcade cabinet. And then you get to go for as long as you have the skill to keep going. Um that's not just what I'm talking about. When I said I run scam on like Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition or Mortal Kombat 1, you know, the cab the base cabinets. I would get challenged by people and putting money on the table. So not only am I still running on my quarter, but I'm taking their money because they can't beat me. Uh, yes, I was that good at those games. You know. Anyway, so you still, that's no, what I, 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 that's I, what I meant more, by you I'm, can make your money back. <laughs> I'm more referring to I'm more referring to the, the the sense of you know paying a quarter in to play a game and you know you lose, so you have to keep paying money if you want to keep playing the game. But it's like that's that's different from microtransactions because that's all skill based. Like for well, microtransactions, a lot of the a lot of the way some of these microtransactions work is if you have no skill, you can offset that by buying shit in game. You know what though? That doesn't bother me as much as the the fact that it's available for the people that you do know has skill, and then they just buy the shit to become invincible anyway. They they do it to basically troll essentially like one of the worst things I, I remember ever happening is uh, you know Call of Duty always in their multiplayer always had a uh, uh, a governor to to like uh, uh, their lobbies and you would have skill based matchmaking so once in a while you get somebody who was relatively decent in there but if you were a shit player you were normally put on with mediocre to shit players. Yep. And then Black Ops 3 came out. And they eliminated the governor. And somehow, someway, people were manipulating where they're, they're the greatest player, Call of Duty players of all time. And all they're doing is sitting on and, and trashing the, the shit players. Which makes the shit players not want to play. Yep. You know, because they're cannon fodder. And then you tack on what we're talking about with like... Uh, uh, microtransactions where they're buying the best guns under the planet 
now you're really just giving them more ammo than they ever needed to to trash people who just want to play the game. Yep. And it's like I wouldn't have as much of a problem with microtransactions if it wasn't that a lot of developers were taking it as carte blanche to release an incomplete game with the mentality that they'll just finish it later. No, you're you're absolutely like, right. And I think one of the ones that was most uh, blasted for, and it definitely brought it to the forefront, was the uh, Star Wars Battlefront series, particularly Battlefront Two. Uh, yeah, uh, loot boxes out the ass. They did calm that down dramatically, though. A little too little, too late, you know, in the eyes of a lot of gamers. But they they did fix that problem. Yeah, but uh, no, like like the, the the example of an unfinished game being released and then having to be. Um, updated via DLC to be what it was originally advertised as at the beginning. Uh, no better example than No Man's Sky. They had to completely revamp that game, yes. That, that, yeah, that is true. It was absolutely not what was promised at launch. 100%. Like, it, at launch, it was it, we were promised a huge expansive universe. No game is the same. Um, they actually had promised that you would be able to run into other people throughout the universe, but it was highly unlikely at first because of how big the universe was. And, uh, after launch, we went and found out that it just didn't have any multiplayer functionality whatsoever. So that's why you weren't running into anybody. (laughs) The only multiplayer functionality was, uh, the discovery feature, which was, as you found things in the universe, it logged who discovered it. Right. So, like, your name would go up on a log next to somebody else's name of, like, you discovered this first. You know? That's, and that's just... That's weak. Not, yeah. That was not what was promised. You know, it, it was promised that we would be able to, like, explore this massive, expansive universe and discover things and, and build and do all these all this cool shit. And there was still, like, a small chance we might run into somebody else. <laughs> and then at launch, nothing. Nope can't run into other people why because there's no multiplayer now see i came i came in late to no man's sky very late to no man's sky so i avoided this uh this initial complete and utter failure uh, oh man but it was so it was so buggy at launch but when i got the game i mean i, I was i'm still not overly impressed with no man's sky it, it, it to quite honestly it bores the shit out of me but i remember the first 10 minutes in i saw other people's ships flying around you know, uh, up in the sky or something. And of course, I knew it was a player and not just like a shooting star or anything because they had their little fucking gamer tag over top of the icon or whatever. You know, yep. so they they definitely I could definitely say they fixed what you're talking about at least in that aspect. That was one of the, like mid updates that they added to the game. The good thing about the good thing that Hello Games did for uh, when they when they did this 
is none of the DLC and updates to No Man's Sky cost anything. Everything is free. That that they actually are updating the game up to what was promised <laughs> at no cost, at no extra cost to the consumer, which I think is nice. I think it's nice, and I also they should have they should have released it as the whole game, and if they couldn't reach they couldn't reach make that point, they should have delayed it before you know launching it unfinished. But um, I'm fine with releasing updates to a game after the fact at no cost to the consumer if the developers want to continue revamping the game or, or building upon it, like Minecraft. Like, you buy Minecraft off of Mojang's website and you have the, you know, the PC copy for pretty much life. You have your, your, your sign-in and everything. All you got to do is sign back on. It, it, it'll remember, hey, you've purchased Minecraft. You can download the newest launcher on your new device. Cool. Awesome. And it, the game's just continually updating because Mojang is adding more stuff to it constantly. But you don't have to pay extra to, to get it. And uh, I think my, Minecraft might have gone up in price at some point. I think back when I first started playing it, it back was when it was like for, uh, back when I first started playing it, it was like nine bucks. Well, uh, when but that, I, that, that was I, like sorry, good. That was like vanilla one point two. Well, that's, that's what I was gonna say when it when it really, especially when it started coming to consoles, like hev- heavily to consoles. Uh, I remember it being a twenty dollar download or or purchase, brand new. Yes. Now I think it's thirty. I think it has gone up to thirty. Yes, it's it's about thirty bucks for. It's still a relatively CD. cheap game, but yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. Yeah, but like I love that. At least for the PC version, I don't know if the any of the consoles or whatnot have uh, that system, but that might not that that's probably not on Mojang's. Well, end of end of things. That's more on Xbox and PlayStation and Nintendo DRM. Well, that that's what I was going to say is because on most consoles, like uh, you're you're not pi- buying it from the publisher so much as you're buying it from the the Xbox or PlayStation stores. And once you purchase on there, is when you're talking about downloads, not not physical copy games, but downloads of the games. It remembers that you purchased it. You never pay for the game again. Now, if you have a physical copy of the game and you break the disc or lose the disc, you have to go out and buy another disc. But yeah. the, but if you purchased from the game stores and downloaded onto your system and wound up deleting it, not a problem. You can re-download for free. Right. But, like, I, I know the PC version, at least in Minecraft, and that's the one I have that keeps super up-to-date. The console versions are, like, a little bit behind as far as updates, but that's just because the console versions didn't come out until much later. Right. So the, the PC version's always been like two or three updates ahead of them. But um, but to be fair, to be fair, to to go back to what you were saying about No Man's Sky, um, which is a blaring example of a game being incomplete. I feel I have to be a little fair with it though, uh, because No Man's Sky was a very ambitious idea. It was basically you know, Minecraft in space and a complete MMO uh, uh, resource gathering survival game 
that's really at that point never been done before. So I can I could almost be a little bit more forgiving of them trial and erroring their game as opposed to say like we were talking about before Star Wars Battlefront 2 where you already know how the hell to do a first person shooter game. There's no excuse for the fucking uh raping of people's wallets in in loot crates and and uh microtransactions. Yeah, especially especially putting the um bit the the big powerful Jedi and Sith hero characters behind loot boxes too. Well, one of the stupidest like things like I remember with the loot crates that you're talking about, one of the stupidest stupidest things that they did was uh this was one of the scans they did. It had nothing to do with the loot crates, but when they released uh, Finn and Phasma to Battlefront 2 as playable characters, you had to save up credits to be able to purchase them. But at the time, they told you you could only buy one or the other. Like, if you chose Finn, Phasma was closed off to you. You could never have Phasma. You know, like, so you had a choice of people were choosing one or the other, and then a couple days down the line, not even a couple days, a couple weeks down the line, well, they just released both of them to everybody and did it for free. <laughs> Which goes back to, like, Call of Duty Black Ops 2. I remember that was a big deal, you know, not not so much a loot crate. Mi- makes me wonder a- if they didn't release them to everybody for free because they got backlash for making people have to choose... Probably, but they didn't return the credits to the people who did purchase these characters beforehand. Well, of course not. They're not going to give you your money back. Well, I mean, it's in-game currency. It's not real money, but at the same time, it's still people's time and effort to save up those credits to try to get those characters that they could have used on something else now. You know, uh, that was kind of a dick move. That's kind of where I was going with, uh, with Call of Duty Black Ops 2. I remember when I ordered that, uh... Pre-orders only was getting Nuketown 2025, which is one of the maps, the infamous maps for Call of Duty. But you had to pre-order it. If you did not pre-order the game, you did not get Nuketown 2025. And then, of course, they would release Nuketown 2025 for everybody later on. Two months after launch, not only did they release it, they released it for free. How much do you think it pissed all of us off who rushed out to pre-order the game because we wanted that map? That was kind of, uh, that was kind of the time. That was kind of the point where I got completely sick of Call of Duty and their and their their games. With not games as in you know the game itself, but games as in the the publishers' uh, constant screw with the players. Yeah, this the shit they're pulling against the players. Mm-hmm. We're we're definitely reaching a point in the in the gaming community that developers are starting to see a lot of pushback from fans uh, for some of the pr- business practices they're doing, and I think we're actually going to start seeing uh, stuff like loot boxes and microtransactions taper off as fans get more and more annoyed with it. Because eventually we are going to hit a tipping point where fans are just going to stop buying games that have microtransactions and, and, and loot crate mechanics and all that in it because it's it's just not worth it. 
Well, to be to be fair, I mean, like like I said, going back to like uh, a Fallout, uh, you know, especially an offline Fallout game, I'm more than willing to buy DLC for that. More than willing because it's additional content. But when it comes to things like, say, for the sake of argument, like Call of Duty, again, using it as an example, I will not buy your map packs. I will not buy your loot crates. It's never going to happen. I've done it once, and I felt completely ripped off by it. Like, it, 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 by the end of it, what I got out of it was not justifiable to the price to me in any way, right. shape, or form. So... More and more players are going to be like me, where it's like, we'll buy your $60 game because we like the game, but all your additional shit that you're trying to nickel and dime me out of, you're never going to get it from me. I, I hate I hate loot boxes with a burning <laughs> passion because it's a lot of the times you, you wind up having to pay to like get a couple of loot boxes because you know you're just not earning them fast enough to get what you need. And it never, never gives you what you need. It's mm-hmm. ne- and it's never worth what you paid to, to get those loot boxes. And it's it's basically gambling. It really is. In fact, wasn't it ruled by the courts as far as Battlefront 2 was concerned? It was actually ruled as gambling, and that's why EA was forced to change that mechanic. Oh, yeah. Like, like courts, courts have continually upheld that loot box mechanics in video games is gambling, and therefore, uh, if you're trying to market your uh, game to younger audiences, you can't have loot, loot box or loot crate mechanics in it um, without um, if if it involves real world money. Because if, if it's something that involves in-game currency, then woohoo, there you go. You can have it. Congratulations. Right. But, now uh, you're just taking people's time and, and grind mechanics to, to, to earn your little thing. But yeah, as far as real-world money, and one of the major reasons why it has to be that way for video games is because as much as people like Zep and myself still enjoy video games, let's be real, video games are still... A kids market. Oh yeah, and you can't give gambling to a child. Oh no! Like, <laughs> I I still remember. I still remember. Pokemon got so much flack in the '90s because they had the game corner in uh, in their games. Okay. Uh, you, uh, in Pokemon Red and Blue and po- uh, and Yellow and Pokemon Gold and Silver. Uh, also, I think they kept it up until Ruby Sapphire and Emerald as well. Um, you could go. You could go to an in-game location called the Game Corner, okay. and uh, you would get an in an in-game item called a coin case or whatever, and you could purchase tokens for the Game Corner that went in your coin case um, with your in-game currency. There was no like. Oh, real world money! Haha, you get game corner tokens. It, it was just a a fun little mechanic in the game that you could get take your in game currency, buy a couple tokens, go into the game corner, and play slots. It, it was basically a slot machine game uh, for the first two games, and then in Pokemon uh, 
Ruby Sapphire and Emerald, they added a roulette wheel um, that you could play. And pretty much it was just you went and played to try and get your... to earn more tokens back uh, playing the slots and playing the roulette to buy items using the tokens. And there were some pretty nice items behind... uh, the tokens. Uh, there's even like a uh, for at least the first two games, there was a Pokemon behind the the tokens that you could only get if you got enough tokens to buy that Pokemon. See, I don't see that being a problem because you know, first off, you're not using real world money, and second off, I'm remembering back when I was you know under ten years old, the- you know, and and my kids or my my grandparents had the Atari twenty six hundred. Well, that was, they would let me play, and there was blackjack and casino and poker cartridge games where oh yeah, you gambled like, your points. I I just remember back in the nineties, Pokemon received nineties uh, and early two thousands. Pokemon received so much flack for having the game corner because it was like you're teaching little kids how to gamble, and it's gonna make them into gamblers and ruin their lives. And it was like, no, you idiots! It's just a fun little mechanic in the game it doesn't even affect the overarching story it's like i mean stuff like that was going on forever look at final fantasy 7 and and the gold saucer a lot of unique items you could only get randomly from playing like in the arcade section of gold saucer or or doing the battle arena of the gold saucer or you know I, hell, I think Tifa's final uh, final limit break was uh, something you had to randomly get out of a claw machine in the gold saucer. Yeah, like, the games have always had random drop mechanics and, and all that that basically amounts to, to, to gambling in-game, but it's not like microtransactions where you're paying real-world money to have a small, minute chance of getting this whatever item that may or may not affect your gameplay right it was it was just a random it was a random generator and the worst you had to do like what again to use final fantasy 7 as an example your your in game your in world uh currency was gill the gold saucer used uh gp i gold pieces i assume but you had to pay a ratio of what was it uh 200 gill for 20 gold pieces Right, and you use those gold pieces to do the arcade things like the claw machine or whatever to try to try to randomly get whatever specialty items are there. And more often than not, it costs you a good ten grand in gill to finally get that thing. It just took forever. But the only thing you lost was time and digital currency, not real money. Right, and and and. <laughs> Long-time gamers, especially RPG players, are no strangers to the grind. That's just part of the game. Like, uh, you, you, you go through the grind, you get the strong items, you beat the boss, you complete the game, 100% complete it, get every item, strongest items, everything. You know, loot crates and loot boxes and microtransactions are not the grind. And, and I think that's, that's why mostly RPG players and, and other gamers wow. like that are so against microtransactions because it's like 
it takes away all of the fun of it. The challenge. The challenge. It, it takes it takes away all the work because it's like if I can just pay fifty dollars USD and get all of these items that it takes hours upon hours of grinding to get the proper in-game currency to get it. It's 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 a shortcut and it's just not worth not worth it. Well, I think I think you hit the nail right on the head. That's why the popularity of it to a lot of people is is we live in this world of instant gratification and and short attention spans that they're uh they're they're exploiting is the fact that people don't want to put in the time and effort to do the grind and to to, to do the challenges and earn the the special rewards for doing that. They want that shit now. Well, okay, here, give us ten bucks and you can have it. Like great, great example of the grind in an RPG of, of recent memory, as uh, in the game Undertale. Uh, if you're running a pacifist run, there is an armor in the game you can get called the Temi armor, and it takes a ludicrous amount of money to get this armor. And pretty much what you have to do is you have to take an item that when you use the item, it fills your inventory with a copy of the item and a couple of different types of items. Right. And then sell all that off, except for one, use the item again, and uh, just rinse, repeat, ad nauseum until you have enough gold to buy that armor. But the second you get the Temi armor and equip it, the game is so easy like no a, any any character that attacks you from that point on it's basically like one point of damage oh wow it's so ridiculous but the grind that it takes to get the armor is equally ridiculous and there's no like you could buy gold to, to get it earlier or like pay real world money to get it earlier and it's just like that that's the grind that is satisfying to gamers well because it's it's it's, you you put in all of that work to get that armor and you get to have this this ludicrously high defense so that nothing nothing in the game can essentially touch you well see that that that's uh that's that's some of the things I don't get about modern day gamers. You know, they they they'll spend the money on loot crates, or at least you know some of them. I'm not going to say modern day in general because most most of them I think are like you and me. You know, where it's like I'm not giving you a dime for this shit. Um, but you have you have your select few that actually you know take advantage of the of the loot crates and the. Uh, microtransactions and stuff because either they don't have the skill or they're just assholes. Um, but I mean, these are the same people that'll go out for hours on end with Pokemon Go standing by a, a Pokemon station to be able to re-get Pokeballs and shit and will grind like maniacs just to get one Pokemon. Oh yeah, and and like, it's not like, and Pokemon Go is actually a great example because Pokemon Go has microtransactions. Mm-hmm. You can pay to get Poke Coins, which can, you can then use to buy items in the shop. So 
that there is absolutely a pay-to-win function there in Pokemon Go. Mm -hmm. But most players will actually take the time and stand by a Pokestop and just spin it every five minutes to build their items back up and not not pay real-world money for uh, the, the in-game items. Like, I think there's only one time I've ever paid real-world money into Pokemon Go, and that was because I needed Pokeballs, and there weren't any Pokestops near me at all. <laughs> and it's like... Still wouldn't I, pay real I ran money. It, I ran into a Pokemon I absolutely wanted. I was out of Pokeballs, and I'm like, there are no Pokestops near me. I need this. It was a Scyther, don't judge me. <laughs> it was worth it, damn it. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I was guilty of it when I was living up in Jake and Town, and I was actually playing the Pokemon Go. I like my girl and I would literally go down to the closest uh, uh, train, Septa train station was a Pokestop, and we'd go sit at the train station for like a good two, three hours just to replenish our Pokeballs. And, and yeah. you know, of course, random things would appear as we were there anyway. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it when a game strikes a balance between uh, having microtransactions and actual, like, gameplay mechanics. Because Pokemon Go is a great example of striking a balance. It has gameplay mechanics where you shouldn't have to spend a dime ever in order to, to be good at that game. Or keep playing. You shouldn't have to spend a dime. But at the, but, same, but at the same time, at, I mean, we're talking about a same free time, game. You, you, at the same time, you can pay real-world money to get the in-game currency, to get some items, to you know boost your items and whatnot. And I, I, I'm glad that it's just items, like for Pokemon Go. It, it, you can only buy items for things. It's not like you can buy Pokemon but like, but like I said, uh, with the, with the microtransaction ideas for a free game like a like a mobile app game, for, for example, I, I'm I'm less angry about it because okay, you gave me the game for free, you need to make money somehow. I'm fine with that. Right. It's the games that you paid for that make no goddamn sense to me. It's like you've already gotten your money. Leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, as a perfect example, like, I'm not even going to point at the mobile games. Look at things like Dungeons & Dragons Neverwinter, for example. That is a free DLC on consoles. That's a free DLC on PC. Mm -hmm. It's got microtransactions in it. I've never really looked at the microtransactions, so I don't know if they're cosmetic or, or, or there are specialty weapons you can get. I've never delved, delved into it because I just play the game. But the game was free. So I don't care that they're there. Right. I get that... Uh, I forget who made the game. Uh, Perfect Realm or something like that. Um, or Perfect World. Perfect World needs to make some sort of money for the game, especially to keep the servers up. I'm fine with that. But if it was, if Neverwinter was a game I paid $60 for, keep your microtransactions out of what I paid for. Exactly. I think that's the true balance. If the game, if you gave me the game for free anyway, then sure, I understand you need to make your money some way. But if you already made your money from me, quit trying to get more. Yeah, 
I can definitely agree with that. Like that, that biggest annoyance of microtransactions is that like I already paid sixty bucks for this game. Why am I having to pay you more money for even being able to be viable in this, especially multiplayer games? Like microtransactions and multiplayer are just oil and water. They should never go together ever. And and I think a big a uh, big reason that microtransactions are, are are continuing to be big is because of the competitive scene. Mm-hmm. And you have games where you have microtransactions that you can get some of the better weapons and and bigger stuff by paying for it. And so you have these professional gamers, competitive gamers that make money by playing these games that are paying to be at the competitive cutting edge. Well, then because there, there's there's that big push to just always be competitive, always be, you know, at the forefront of everything, and it's just it's it's driving this microtransaction economy. Well, then to be fair, I think there has to be some sort of governor in that in that comp, uh, competitive world. There's got to be some sort of way of of uh, penalizing those who didn't earn that are in the competitive world. You know, if you didn't earn that weapon, if you didn't earn that status, you didn't earn that armor, whatever the case may be, you 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 loot created it or or microtransactioned it, then you're disqualified from be placing in the competitions or even participating in the competitions. But how do you track that? There has to be a way to track. Everything you do on on computer, everything you do on console leaves a log. There's always a paper trail. Well, digital paper trail, but a paper trail nonetheless. There's always a log somewhere of what you did. Like, I, com- I completely agree with you. Like, th- there should be a way, but, like, it, the, the amount of effort and time that needs to be put into tracking that would be then put it in the hands of the developers uh, make it regulated that all loot crate or play to win items that were purchased have a type of watermark on them that show that they were purchased rather than earned what is yeah, it two that... seconds to put a, a three three white pixel dots on a on a gun yeah I, I guess that would that could also possibly work honestly the best thing to do would be for the competitive tournaments is make it so that anything that can be bought or um, pulled from a loot crate uh, just can't be used and just have it be default weapons raw skill I agree with that completely I'm in fact you know if we're talking about like the halo tournament tournaments and the call of duty tournaments not only should it be like default skill you know, and and default weapon weaponry. I'm talking if we really want to go default, you don't even get the attachments. You don't get the the specialty times four scope or the extended mags. You know that you would normally get from leveling up your gun. You get vanilla weaponry, and show us what you got. Like or, and and this this is kind of taking a page out of the book of like Fortnite or Player Unknown's Battlegrounds with the whole battle royale system. Have a first-person shooter that does like a team deathmatch or whatnot that has the attachments or all of the things that you can 
you can add to your gun or upgrade your gun with have those littered around the map. Well, Halo and basically so, does that. Yeah, ev- every everybody starts out with the same beginning loadout, and then you can find upgrades to your gun along the way on the map. Well, that's and, the one. And, that's the one thing use, I can give Halo, because Halo in Halo, you even in the uh, competitive aspects of the of the game, you know, like the the World Championships of Halo. It starts at the same deathmatch where you either have the uh, the, the the assault rifle or the uh, battle rifle and a magnum handgun, and that's all you've got. All the other weapons, like your shotgun, your sniper rifle, whatever, what have you, is littered throughout the map. You got to go find it and get it. Yeah, at that point, it becomes just <coughs> raw skill and knowing your map. Yeah, I agree. I. I definitely think they should do that for competitive play especially in this world of esports but yeah we got we got competitive gamers in in games like fortnite and battle royale and and player unknowns battlegrounds that are paying to buy the upgrades and uh i'm actually laughing because uh, Fortnite just recently did a, a, a thing that all of the competitive and top uh, professional Fortnite gamers are crying about is they added a mech to the game. Okay. And basically what's been happening is whoever gets the mech first just has an automatic advantage over everybody else. So all these professional uh competitive Fortnite gamers are getting their asses handed to them by casual kids that are finding the mech first and just curb stomping everybody on the map. Well, see, something like that I can agree with, and I think I think other games should incorporate that type of mechanic to get, to get uh, you know, and, and I don't know, I don't know if it's even feasible, but that almost seems like leveling the playing field in its own right. If you've got an overpowering... Oh, I- if you got an overpowering player, for the sake of argument, that you know, that is just whooping the shit out of everybody, whether it's loot crate or otherwise, you know that they did it, and they're just they're curb stomping everybody under the sun. Then it's, put it's, some MacGuffins in there that that can be found by by the shit players, only by the shit players. That helps give them a you know some form of you know fight back ability. It's it's it's. It's the original Halo. Uh, it's 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 whoever gets the tank first. Like, it, it, it this this isn't anything new for gaming. The 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 Fortnite's inclusion of the mech is completely precedental. Like, there there there's a precedent for this in in competitive multiplayer games, and you have these professional gamers crying about it and and telling. Uh, I think it's Epic Games is the... It's, um, it's essentially the golden gun. Yeah. It, yeah. It, you have these professional gamers crying about it and being like, you need to get rid of the mech and take it out of the game. It's like, dude, if you're tired of getting your shit wrecked by the mech, find it first. It's right. that simple. It's It's... It, it, congratulations! It's part of the new meta. Like, go go if the mech is part of the game, go find the mech, go find it first. How dare you give other players something to uh, force me to have to have a challenge? 
<laughs> Again, instant gratification. Instant yeah, it's, gratification. I would love to see some of these, like, uh, the competitive gamers that, that have gotten to, like, professional status playing games like Fortnite. Uh, I would love, love to see them go a couple of rounds of Team Deathmatch in the original Halo or Halo 2. Especially Halo 2. Matchmaking lobbies. Oh, Halo, like, Halo 2 Halo 2's lobbies and and game and game maps and and some of the players. I mean, you could you could still play them obviously in the Master Chief collection, but I mean that was that was probably the toughest uh that and Reach. I would say I would say Halo yeah. 2 and Reach were probably the hardest uh multiplayer matchmaking lobbies I've ever been in. Oh, it was well th- that was the great thing about Halo 2 and in, like the Halo games uh, up until like I think Halo 4. It was it was it's all raw skill and a race to get the better weapons. Like um if you were a pretty damn good Halo player and like could take people out with the battle rifle or the assault rifle pretty uh, effectively and everything, there was still always Always, there was that that thought in the back of your head: is I don't, I hope that some asshole doesn't beat me to the sniper rifle, or the rocket launcher, or the shotgun, or the lasers, or the uh, the laser sword. I forget what it was called. Because you'd have you could be like a really great player and have a great kill streak going with. Uh, just the battle rifle and the and the magnum you started off with, but all it took was coming around the wrong corner and some asshole having a rocket launcher to ruin your day. Well, Halo Halo had the right mechanics to begin with, and I mean, it still does. Uh, I don't remember if they did it in Guardians, but I know Halo Four on back. I mean, it was it was default hardcore mode. You could betray your teammates. You could kill your teammates. Mm-hmm. So you had to watch friendly fire because you did get penalized for it, and if you got penalized too much, you got booted from the game and usually wound up with a ban. Another thing Halo did right that I think other games need to uh, need to put in the mechanic is people who would rage quit. In other games, you don't get penalized for rage quitting. You know, or fuck this, you're killing my, my KD because you're whooping my ass, whatever, so I'm jumping out, and the stat doesn't count. Not only did it stat count in, in Halo, but again, you got penalized. You couldn't play for up to, like, 30 minutes mm-hmm. if you if you jumped out of a game early. Yep. And, uh... Um, again, I don't remember if Guardians did it. I know Halo 4 on back did. You could also... You would also, you'd also get uh, penalized for, for killing yourself on mm-hmm. accident. Yep. So if you got a little overzealous with the rocket launcher and you managed to kill the guy but also killed yourself, you didn't get any points because it ne- it negated. Because well, you got the about, one point. I was got about to one, say if you kill, you if got you, the one point for killing them and then a minus one for killing yourself. Well, even if you don't kill them and you wind up killing yourself, didn't it still take one of your kills away? Yes, because you get you auto, Most Halo games you get an automatic negative one for suicide. And I think it's also a negative one for for killing teammates if you have that setting for earlier games. Right. Again, I, I it's been so long since I played Halo Five Guardians. I don't remember if those mechanics still existed in that game, which was the most recent Halo game. 
I would have I've, to check. I don't. I don't think I played too much uh, um, uh, of multiplayer for Halo Five Guardians. But I do remember Halo Four, ODST, Reach, Three, Two, and One. All of them had the same mechanic, as far as that was concerned. And I fully agree with the Call of Duty, Battlefront, Fortnite. All of you should have the same fucking mechanic in there. But yeah, like, it, it for multiplayer games, it shouldn't be. I I paid money to get all the best equipment, and I just wreck everybody that I come across. And honestly, the the it, it's it's not too many first person shooters that have that problem. It's mostly MMOs. Yeah, it, it is mostly MMOs, and I mean, that, if I remember correctly, that really started with the, like you said earlier, the World of Warcraft, where you were buying epic weapons and, and epic armors, you know, because you couldn't find them or grind them. Right. You know, so, but I mean, it did slip into the, uh, into the FPS multiplayer world, just not as heavily. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it, multiplayer games should be raw skill against raw skill it, it should it shouldn't be oh this person paid to have all of the best equipment so they're just automatically gonna wreck my shit um, if you're gonna have people with all of the best equipment going up against people with all the best equipment you should make it so like there's an arena function or something that you can get match made yeah, and, a one v one PvP or something of that nature, and, and put put similar, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, put similar power levels up against similar power levels. Which goes back to the governor I was talking about before, uh, skill skill matchmaking, skill uh, skill based matchmaking. Exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, microtransactions probably the the in my opinion the worst thing to happen to gaming ever. Well, as much as, as much as your opinion and my opinion matter to us, and we definitely agree on that, what about you guys listening? What do you think of microtransactions? Do you think we're make, uh, making a mountain out of a molehill, or is it really that much of a bane in the uh, video game industry? Yeah, definitely leave a, leave a comment uh, and subscribe. Uh, <laughs> keep get, to keep getting uh, more of our podcast videos. That's right. Besides, yeah. uh, besides Press A Gaming, of course you have... All the great podcasts like Realm of the Mist Entertainment uh, uh, podcast, uh, Breaking the Fourth Wall, War of the Stars, It Had to Be Said, Tinfoil Hat Society, and then don't forget the gaming community uh, of the Lost Realm, uh, which has now adopted uh, Sounds Dicey, which of course is the home of... Uh, Chronicles uh, of the Lost Realm. Chronicles of the Lost Realm, and we got we a couple got a couple other... couple more campaigns that are going to be coming dropping out soon. Yep, uh, home brewed game systems, uh, and and stuff so keep an eye out for that that's going to be interesting and of course we're going to be visiting uh, so, uh there is talks and rumors of visiting some old classic tabletops like star wars and uh marvel superheroes and who knows we may even hit magic the gathering or or white wolf games or not magic the gathering uh vampire the masquerade oh we could totally do magic the gathering but uh <laughs> i don't think you, i don't think you guys want to go up against my ornithopter of death deck well, I think the only way we would be able to do that in podcast form, especially with all of us living in different cities, <laughs> is uh, 
is we would have to get like one of the digital uh, Magic the Gathering games and all there's, of us start from scratch with decks. There, there's there's a web there's a website called Untapped.in that you can build a deck and play, and oh, it has a huge card database. So well, there you go. So. It's still what I was saying. You can't use we can't use our physical cards like what I'm sitting here is next to my leg on my computer desk. I mean, you can. You just have to build the deck in it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm your host Zephyr Zero. You can find me every other Friday on Press A Gaming Podcast, or you can find me on Sounds Dicey playing Chronicles of the Lost Realm or playing whatever campaign we're going to pull out next. I'm not going to spoil it here. You guys are going to have to go there to find out. Uh, Wild High, where can they find you? Well, you can find me at Sounds Dicey, playing Ferrante Thonalus and Chronicles of Lost Realm. And, of course, you can find me here at Realm of the Mist Entertainment on multiple different podcasts. Of course, you could either check us out on the YouTube channel or wherever quality podcasts are heard. All right, and uh, we'll see you next time on Press A Gaming. Remember to press A for more great content. Later.